welcome to the Dirt Reporters podcast for the week of May 5th. I'm DirtOnDirt.com staff writer Joshua Joyner, and I'm here along with the rest of the DirtOnDirt.com editorial staff to take you beyond the headlines that you see on our website and dive deeper into the news, results, and notable topics of dirt late model racing. This is a new weekly feature from DirtOnDirt.com appearing every Wednesday morning on the website and in your favorite podcast app if you subscribe to the DOD podcast feed. Joining me today, we have DirtOnDirt.com managing editor Todd Turner, whose home state of Kentucky provided not one but two thrilling finishes over the weekend between Ponderosa and Florence. Todd, are you proud of your home state tracks? Yes, we're glad we didn't let anybody down. And Josh Rice, yeah, go get him. That's right. Also a, a home state winner there. So we'll, uh, of course, talk a lot about that. We're, we're talking about the Lucas Oil doubleheader there. It saw Jonathan Davenport win Friday at Ponderosa and home state driver Josh Rice win Saturday at Florence. Of course, both were in pretty dramatic fashion. And we'll talk more about that later, but getting back on track here, welcome to the show. DirtOnDirt.com weekend editor, Robert Holman. Robert, how are you today? Doing great. If I could ever figure out these, uh, these stupid uh, headsets we got going on, it'd be, be a good thing. <laughs> technology technology technology's getting it's getting old man down that's right but i'm ready to go good deal and finally we have dirt on dirt.com senior writer kevin kovac who spent the past weekend covering the world of outlaws late mile series first ever visit to boone speedway for the inaugural hawkeye 100 kevin how was your trip to iowa yeah it was a good bonsai trip back and forth really quick friday come back sunday and I guess what we will be talking about that a little bit more i I have some uh have some thoughts on the on the boone weekend that's for sure that's right. Well, I'd actually like to start today's discussion with Boone. You know, we'll talk about Bobby Pierce getting the $30,000 victory there on Saturday. Of course, it was the second night of a doubleheader there. Had twin feature, preliminary night features on Friday that were won by Kate Dillard and Shannon Babb. And we'll talk all about that. But first, I kind of want to dis- discuss the track and the event itself. I feel like there was a lot of anticipation for this race because I think for a lot of us in the super late model world, Boone is a track that we've heard a lot about but probably never seen much racing there. By some measures, Boone's annual IMCA Super Nationals is among dirt track racing's big, biggest annual events. Uh, but of course, it's held the same week as the World 100 every year. So I'm willing to bet there are a lot of folks, myself included, who kind of got their first taste of Boone this weekend. Of course, Kevin, you visited Boone for the first time to cover the event. I'm curious how you would rate your experience and the racing there. Did it live up to the hype in your mind? I, I'm, I'll be frank. I'm going to be uh, you know, just honest here. I, I was pumped up about this race. I, I, it, and it did not live up to the hype, uh, from in my mind at least. I, I went to that race. I'm like, man, I, I, this is a track, you know, one of those tracks I want to see something at. I want to see a late model race there because it's really been unknown to late model racing. I mean, they have a usually have an IMCA late model race there uh, during the Super Nationals week in that area, but for super late model racing, uh, I, I, it, it's years since they've had anything probably there. You'd always heard about this, the track prep that goes on there. It's black dirt. It's Iowa. It's a bullring. I mean, I'm like, man, this this could be, is this Fairbury? Is it Far- Farmer City? Is it like those tracks that we have uh, such great racing at in Illinois and in, in, in other places? I mean, could it be a Knoxville kind of black dirt? Well, and I get there. I mean, there was only 24 cars, uh, which I was ex- uh, that's no big deal. I mean, I wasn't expecting a big field. I mean, it, it's in May, it, a lot of races going on. And this is an area, again, it doesn't even have super late models. So the, the, the race, the, the field, that's okay. I mean, I can live with that. It's all it's mostly good cars. But the racing just wasn't as good as I thought it was going to be. It just, 
I personally like seeing a racetrack with a nice big cushion on it, especially if it's going to have a black dirt track like that. I want to see a be I want to see guys be able to go up there and, and use that outside as like a little bit of, you know, that, that turbo boost that they call it, especially at Fairbury. Uh, they can't do it the whole race, but you can get up there and it makes it exciting. It makes it something good rather than seeing cars just going around uh, smoothly. I, I like to see a little action like that. And there was a little cushion during time trials, but after that, on Friday, it, it really, it was hard. It was a hard racetrack. Farmed it a little bit. They scraped it up a little bit. And I mean, not digging it, but they did scrape it and scratch it. And and it still took rubber in the second feature on Friday. The first feature was sort of, uh, you know, Kay Dillard won because of lap traffic, probably, to get by Brandon Shepard. And then Saturday, on Saturday's race, they scratched it again before, uh, one race before the feature. And it just... I mean, the first 30 laps or so, there was action. There was some passing. There was some sliders and stuff. But it still wasn't what I was – you know, it, it, you could see this was like they're just running as fast as they can to get to the front because it's going to rubber. And it did, unfortunately. So I could say I left there kind of bummed out. It was <laughs> – I went there real excited, left bummed out. I wonder if, you know, if we were the only ones I'm, – I'm sure – I, I think we weren't the only ones, but – were the drivers also kind of having that same, you know, wondering what it's going to be like and, you know, kind of anticipation and have expectations for the track? Did you get any uh, feel from the drivers, what their reactions were? Well, a lot of them did, uh, you know, especially like the guys like a Bobby Pierce and the Shannon Babs and the, you know, Frank Hecken ass guys from Illinois that see this black dirt. They roll in there. They see this black dirt and uh, bank turns. And, and, and I think they'd heard about it and they're like, man, is this this is like home and, and it wasn't, it just was a harder racetrack. Again, it, this, this could be a situation where the late models just aren't perfect for this racetrack. It's a modified track. This is, it's number one, a modified track and modifieds have littler tires. Uh, uh, the, the late models came out there with these big tires and, and, and suck, you know, suck to the racetrack too, down with their aerodynamics. And, and maybe that does something to the race, cleans it up. I, they, they, they were talking about that, but, uh, it, it certainly left some drive. The drivers were disappointed uh, that they didn't get to the, the racetrack that they would have like thought they would. Because, I mean, anytime there's like more than 50 laps of rubber single file racing, you're not going to have race car drivers uh, very happy in the pits afterwards. Even the guy who won, Bobby Pierce, was like, man, this isn't this isn't way out like the race. It was just kind of a, a downer all around, I, th- I think, the way it way it turned out. But and one other thing, though, about Saturday, it was 90 degrees. It was 20 to 30 mile per hour winds with 50 mile per hour gusts at times. It was just steady wind, getting your eyes filled with dirt in the, inf- in the pits all, all day long. So that was not conditions that were great for a dirt track to be prepared also. And and, and that kind of even gave me a little bit worse feeling after Friday night because I'm like, I, it, it's not going to probably be better starting an hour earlier and with those uh, weather conditions uh, on Saturday. They certainly faced an, an uphill battle there with the, the weather not being too favorable. But I, I will say I watched it uh, online, and, and the first 30 laps of the Saturday's feature were, were pretty good. Guys were all over it. You had uh, Kyle Strickler and Moyer swapping the lead back and forth, and then Pierce coming up through there. I will say you mentioned uh, not really comparing to Fairbury the way that you thought it might, um, but we did see Illinois drivers sweep the top three with Pierce winning, Bab second, and uh, Shepard third, and, of course, Bab winning one of the preliminary features. Todd, were you surprised at all to see that? Do you think that is a coincidence or no coincidence there that the Illinois drivers were up front this weekend at Boone? No, I'm not surprised. I think we talked about that a little bit last week. Those guys were probably licking their chops. 
And, and I don't know. All I can say to Kevin is he needs to tamp his expectations down a little bit. I mean, <laughs> well, I'm like you, Joshua. I, I saw the you know the first half or first thirty or forty laps for Saturday, and after hearing Kevin, you know, I was expecting you know choo choo, you know. So I I thought it was pretty good. Now maybe a hundred laps is not the right idea for that track, you know. Uh, have have a good 40 lap, and it's going to be, uh, you know, where you can keep the track where it's good enough for those guys. It's hard to get the vibe and feel without being there. Obviously, Kevin has a better perspective of that. Uh, but I liked uh, I liked that early part of the race on Saturday, and uh, and and as you know, I love those tracks with the uh, uh, with the berm and no outside wall. It it makes it it makes it fun. I thought it was pretty exciting there. It's um, maybe just a shorter race next time. Maybe that would uh, help us out. One thing, Todd, I, you, you mentioned perspective. I always lean on you for kind of a historical perspective, and I, and I don't mean this as a slight, but, you know, you've been covering this sport a little bit longer than, than the rest of us. Uh, I'm curious if you can think of another example of a track that kind of had such a, you know, a notable history that, you know, the, the, the Dirt Lake Model World was getting its first look at the track. Has there ever been a, a track with, like, kind of had so much pressure put on it to kind of live up to its own reputation? Um, you know, that's tough to pick something out, but I, I know what you're getting at. If you, you know, a track that makes its mark in some other way with another type of car or, uh, or for some reason doesn't host late models and then kind of has to, it puts a, it puts a microscope on it for sure. So maybe, you know, as Kevin had high expectations and has, we, we are clearly, uh, you know, looking at this very, you know, going through this very much. I think, you know, in that way, Boone did face that challenge. Uh, you know, to think of the, to think of another particular situation like that, nothing just jumps right out at me, but, but there are cases like that kind of uh hidden gem tracks or tracks that uh you know people are you know tout because they haven't had super late mile races and then when they come yeah you kind of do feel like the pressure's on i almost compare i know it's a different uh scenario because uh fairbury had plenty of super late model racing but when it first kind of emerged you know on the national scene with uh you know the, the streaming one and, and video showing how great the racing is there but then when the outlaws started going there and i feel like it did live up to you know, the expectations, but of course, as we mention all the time, not every track can, can be, can be Fairberry. Uh, what about you, Robert, any takeaways from, uh, from the weekend there at Boone? Oh, just kind of adding to what, what you guys were saying there, you know, I think that maybe Knoxville, Iowa, when, when late models first went there, after it's a huge sprint car, you know, deal, Knoxville, Iowa, uh, had that microscope on it. It's like how the, how the late model is going to perform on this, this big sprint car track, you know? And so I think we had to kind of, uh, I think we've, had several races obviously several years there at knoxville iowa there to kind of uh to kind of see that that it's not always great but it, it for the most part it is it is pretty good so i think maybe if if they continue to go to boone and uh and they like todd said maybe maybe run a 60 lapper something like that change things just a little bit i think that that you'll see that that this track will probably it'll it'll suffice there don't you think kev so I was just going to say, uh, when you mentioned about, like, maybe make it a 50-lapper, you know, like, th this might not be a place, like, uh, that should have, like, the mega event like that for a late model. I, I, I kind of feel like that, too, after being there the first time, it's it, it might be better just to have it as a regular 50-lapper, 40-lapper on a tour of other racetracks in, in Iowa, in, in the upper Midwest or something. Uh, like, it's... It's almost like to have a thirty thousand dollar to win race. It should be one of the a late model track. You know, it shouldn't be a track that just has them. It should have history of late model racing. I mean, I've seen them. Uh, there's been some times. You know, I know there was a 
I kind of remember, uh, you know, $20,000 to win World of Outlaws race, 100 lapper up at uh, Mohawk International Raceway up in upstate New York, uh, a, a modified track, a, you know, northeast modified track. And that was, that's a big deal. Like, why why is there's no late models around there? Why were they having this uh, 20000 to win race? The, the promoters wanted to have it, but it only happened, you know, it wasn't a, an, it didn't become an annual event because it's just hard to have that. It's hard to have the kind of field and and just his history, build a history of a, of a race when you don't have late models at that track. It's, I, I think it might be a better fit to just come in there and blow in for a night as part of a, of a, of a swing or something. It's probably the best, the best thing for Boone, I bet. We talked about Kevin, you know, your expectations go in there. And I kind of got the sense the way you talked about it uh, last week. And then, you know, this week that it was almost maybe like a bucket list track in a way. Uh, I don't know if it would rank as one, but, you know, a track with that kind of history is something you were looking forward to. And it got me thinking, you know, perhaps if, if you guys have any bucket list dirt tracks uh, that you haven't been to in your career, but would uh, jump at the opportunity to go to. Robert, I'll start with you. Do, uh, do you have any dirt tracks on your bucket list? Uh, I really have three three big ones. I mean, uh, Cedar Lake is definitely at the top of my list. I've never been there in, in all my years of covering racing. Uh, and uh, Knoxville, Iowa, it would be probably the second one and then uh, lucas oil speedway i've got three there that I, I would really like to get to at some point uh, those are nice facilities for starters uh they have big huge you know crown jewel races obviously and uh and some of the the best the best racing you know that that we've seen uh, year in and year out so definitely those three for me are at the top of the list i've been to just about everything in the south southeast and um and uh, so those those three at the top of the list for me what about you, Kevin? Anywhere else you'd uh, like to see added to your schedule? Uh, I actually want, I'm hoping to knock off one this year. It's Tri-State Speedway, you know, Hobstad, Indiana. Um, that's one you always, uh, another one that gets a lot of talk <laughs> about, like, the, the racetrack and uh, for summer nationals. And I'm like, man, I'm, I, that's that's what I'd like to get to. I never was on, I never fit that in where I was at uh, doing the, the weeks of the summer nationals. And this this year I have that on the schedule. So uh, I'm looking forward to that. I mean, also I got to get to Florence, too. I've, I have not been to Florence yet. It just seems like that racing there has just been it's it's been every race has been wild there in the in recent years. Uh, and it kind of seems like it fits like what I talked about earlier, where I like that being able to guys could get up there and run that cushion if they want to just to, you know, for a few laps to get a good get a good burst and stuff and uh, how much they want to be brave and, and, and do that. So I, I like to get there. And another track, it's not late model racing, but I, I've always wanted to. In California, I like to go to Paris Auto Speedway, um, you know, outside of uh, L.A., you know, out in uh, Tim Truex country there. I, I still it's like that. I never got to go to Ascot Park, which is one of the most famous dirt tracks that was out in California. It was always, you know, you hear about that one. And I like to check out Paris sometime if uh, I ever get a chance. I, I heard Todd perk up there at the mention of, of uh, Hobstadt. That's <laughs> a place he's been to uh, quite a bit. But Todd, anywhere, anywhere, I know you've been to a lot of tracks, but anywhere on your uh, on your bucket list? I got three also. Uh, maybe the first one, Port Royal. You know, it's kind of coming to its own here in the last couple of years. And that's pretty far away from me, and I've never made it up that way. It, you know, that size of track isn't my thing necessarily, but I, 
what they got going on there and the consistent good fields and and racing there you know it'd be great to check out and then uh, one uh, kevin mentioned maybe a couple of weeks ago river cities up there in north dakota has a great reputation for you know being a, a little track with lots of action and it seems like every time i've seen video there they are just all over the place uh, and that's a place i like to go and then finally kind of kind of like kevin on the west uh, coast geographically willamette speedway it, it's maybe not uh, what it used to be but you know 20 or 25 years ago it was kind of a big deal like you know willamette would run those old outlaw side uh sideboard late models and it had a reputation for getting a lot of cars and the best guys on the west coast uh even some of the california guys would go up there and race um yeah so i wouldn't mind seeing uh willamette out there even though uh, maybe it's not quite what it used to be but uh, uh it's a part of the country i haven't gotten uh, gotten to go to dirt track races before I'm a little hurt that none of you have mentioned my home track as Southern Raceway as your uh, bucket list. Although I, I think, um, Kevin, you may be the only I've one who's never there. been there. I was going to say, I know Robert yeah. has recently went to race there. I've been there. But, uh, yeah. Uh, never uh, been me, there. Never been there. It's, yeah, well, it's on my one list, day, Kevin. Joshua. It is <laughs> okay, on my glad list. Which, which, not, which, not your bucket which list, Todd. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Um, well, for, for me, I do have a few on my bucket list, which are really tracks that I feel like at this point I should have been to. Um, kind of, it's kind of surprising that I haven't. And that two of them, that's uh, Florence and Brownstown. Never been there. I always, when I tell somebody that, and they kind of act surprised and say, well, it's Todd Turner's fault because he would pick those races because, you know, he likes going to them or they're close, closer to him. Um, so I've never been to either of those. Uh, like Kevin mentioned, Florence really, you know, it's a historic place. But here lately, the racing has been fantastic there. Elbows up, real uh, exciting racing, and of course Brownstown, uh, a place I'd love to go to. And the other one's Knoxville. I've never been out there, uh, so hopefully I'll get to go out there sometime uh, here pretty soon. Um, speaking of Florence, uh, the historic half mile hosted the second leg of the weekend's Lucas Oil Series Kentucky doubleheader, and it certainly did not disappoint with Josh Rice outdueling Hudson O'Neill in a thrilling back and forth battle. Todd, I know you were watching that race. Uh, did you happen to keep count of how many times Rice and O'Neill uh, unofficially swapped the lead before Rice officially took over the lead there late in the race? I, I was just thinking that, that, that a good reporter would have counted every single time one of them edged <laughs> ahead of the other. And, and no, I didn't. I kind of rounded it up. But I'm not sure I've seen a race where someone of course these lead changes were unofficial for the most part because most of them came in turn one and two when when uh lap after lap rice would slide up under o'neill and o'neill just you know without missing a beat would just go right back by him and probably the fans got so used to it it wasn't even a big deal after you know they did it four or five times uh but that was that was what made that race so remarkable and it's kind of funny as it turns out when uh uh, when Rice finally did get the lead there with four to go, it was kind of the reverse. He he got to make the move O'Neill had been making that carried him uh, down the back stretch, uh, and he was able to hold on the rest of the way. But you know that's one of those races. Lots of uh, great storyline with the you know kind of the home track hero women. Uh, fantastic race. Uh, you know Davenport, the hot you know the hottest guy out there leads early but can't hang with those top two. Uh, that race had all the elements. Uh, uh, of making it a big, a big uh, exciting, uh, exciting night there at Florence. So good for them. I was kind of thinking about it. And I may, this may have happened somewhat recently. I don't know, but I'm wondering when was the last weekend that on the same weekend, Brandon Shepard and Jonathan Davenport were leading a race on their respective series and then didn't win that race. I don't, I have no idea that could, like I said, it could happen two weeks ago. I don't know, but it seems, um, seems rare that that would be a rare occurrence, but it did happen with, you know, Shepard leading 
Friday night, the feature, uh, one of the, the first feature at Boone and then uh, Davenport Saturday at Florence. Anyway, any other uh, points of interest you felt worth mentioning there from Florence? Uh, Robert, you got anything? I just, you know, I think you have to think back through history and just when I used to go to uh, Eldora when I first started and I saw all these guys that were from that area, uh, from, from the Florence area, how good those Florence drivers were at Eldora. If you look back, the Florence regulars are tough. They are very, very tough for a guy to come in, for an outsider to come in there and win. You know, guys like like Jerry Rice was and and uh, Audie McWilliams and Pat Patrick, uh, Troy and Gary Green. I mean, uh, Daryl Landigan, Steve Landrum, they made it really, really tough on outsiders to come in there and win. And I just think that, you know, Josh doing the same thing this past weekend shouldn't be a, a surprise to us because those guys that race at Florence on a regular basis, they are, they are tough customers. And, and Josh proved that again. Speaking of Josh Rice, I don't mean to, uh, to jinx him or to put any extra pressure on him with my next question, but to me, he kind of feels like a driver that could be just getting started on maybe something special as far as his career goes. Like, like maybe we're watching the start of a, a great career. You know, he is a young guy who's really kind of come into his own. It makes me curious if you guys see see it that way too at all. If if maybe watching him emerge in recent seasons and finally getting that win there, you know, on Saturday after coming close in some big races, can you compare? Watching that to maybe watching some other young up and coming drivers in the past that have since gone on to reach superstar status that maybe you had that feeling about where, you know, someone like this guy really could be special in the future. Uh, Kevin, I'll start with you on that one. Well, the first guy I would obviously you know, think about in that category would be Josh Richards, uh, because he started as a you know young 16 year old back in uh, 2004. Right, it was like back right when I started going to some more late model races. It was an outlaw started uh, that year, and so I covered some when I was with Ariel Auto Racing News in New Jersey in the Northeast, and and I also uh, two years later I was doing the PR for the outlaws. So I seen the whole progression of Josh Richards, and it's from the first races I saw him, uh, I was like I I think this guy's going to be pretty good. He he he's got something in him that's a special quality. I didn't see his first win with the Outlaws. That was at Lebanon Valley in, in uh, New York, which is one of the tracks I've been to a lot. But I didn't get to go because it was a Monday race and we were doing the racing paper, uh, putting it together. So, uh, But I did see a second that was in Columbus, Mississippi the next year and then pretty much all the rest of them, it seemed like. Uh, so that was one guy. But the, another guy, I kind of – I can't even go back farther to see, further to see this uh, this guy's emergence was uh, Tim McCready, of course. Uh, uh, I, I saw him right when he were in 1996 was my first year full time at Area Auto Racing News. And so I was covering the modifieds and that's when he became a, a small block modified runner up in New York. And and I, I'd already known him from his through his father racing and and could see that as soon as he got in that race car, he knew how to handle a race car. He knew what to do. He was became a winner in the small block modifieds up in the north country in New York right right off the bat. Uh, next year he's running big blocks and running well. Uh, like this guy's going to be good. So uh, I, I I could say that I could. That's one. That's one guy that I saw his entire progression. Josh and him, I saw their entire progression to become the uh, superstars that they are now. Todd, you got any uh anyone you can think of? I'll say Shannon Babb would be you know mine and not and not that I felt like I discovered him or anything. Obviously Michael and those guys in Illinois saw him when he was a young young guy. But he's one of those guys, and, and you know you get this every once in a while. When even when he was in subpar equipment, they're beating around 
Macon and those Illinois tracks and not winning. You know, this is before before his kind of breakout in 1997 there. But there was something about him. You know, he's just one of those guys you could just see that he was getting the most out of that equipment and that he was uh, – he just had flashes of something that was special, you know, and you just – you know, there's guys you see that, and there's uh, for you know for 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 us that watch lots of races, it's a fine line. Uh, you know what, uh, what when a driver has that, but you know whatever it was, Shannon kind of had that early on, and and it was so fun to watch him. You know, so I kind of got have gotten to see his whole career when he was you know virtually a nobody. Uh, to to when he kind of exploded on the scene and 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 obviously other people saw it because he began getting you know connected with the Moyer bunch and having other good rides GBS uh, you know he really kind of quickly evolved into becoming a successful racer uh, when just a few years before that you know he was uh, just some guy running a Conzi at Macon so uh, it was fun fun to watch Shannon's progression and now I mean it makes you feel makes me feel like an old guy because now Shannon is you know he's a veteran uh, grizzled guy that's been around so uh, uh, but it was fun to, to have been privileged to watch his career like that. It's it's funny you mentioned that because I think during the uh, Victory Lane interview Friday night, uh, Shannon Bab, I heard him say about how he was still doing a lot of learning. And it's like this guy's been around a long time to still be learning. I think he was talking about the car, a new car or whatever. But it was it's kind of interesting how someone who's been around and won as much as he has and, and been around for as long as he's had is still, still in that learning process sometimes. Robert, what do you got? Oh, you know, obviously Josh Richards – and uh, and Shannon are both both good ones. I think it's a, it's a great question. It's interesting. In fact, you look at some of our Throwback Thursday uh, photos. You're like, oh, that guy was at that track, and I was there. And God, he was so young. And and sometimes you don't even realize that those guys are going to be superstars. I think one that maybe is that category is a Jonathan Davenport. He was just kind of uh, racing along there in some regional stuff there in the Carolinas, and then all of a sudden, man, he just exploded. And uh, and I'll be. I'll, I apologize, Jonathan. I never saw it coming, but uh, you know he—he's a you know one of those stories that's like where'd he come from? But then you look at kids that we've noticed. It's hard to overlook Bobby Pierce uh, and and both Tanner English, two guys that I I watched kind of progress through crates. Obviously, Pierce was in some uh, some uh, cart type stuff uh, earlier, but but two kids that really progressed through crate racing and have gone on to make. Their father's very proud, obviously. And I, I think that one thing a lot of these guys have in common, uh, the, especially the ones that start younger and younger, is that they're second generation drivers or they're, uh, you know, or they're somehow already embedded into the sport. Uh, and I think that you look at those guys that are like that and it's easier to pick out those guys like, uh, you know, like the two I mentioned and like Josh Richards and like Tim McCready even. Uh, you know, those guys and you know, Jonathan Davenport, his, his father raced as well, you know. When you look at those guys who who you think who's going to be the next one, you know, look at second generation guys. Look at guys who started early. Look at guys who've been around the shop for a long time, not just been in a race car at an early age, but guys who've been pushing a broom and turning wrenches and and helping their dad. Brandon Shepard, you know, there's one right there that uh, uh, you know spent a lot of time helping his dad and grandpa. So uh, it's a great question. Yeah, it's funny he mentions Tanner English because really my second guy was Terry English. 
Uh, and the first time I saw him really race a lot was at Hobstadt. He'd come there on Sunday nights back when he wasn't really terribly young, but it was before he was established. Uh, so it's funny, you know, Tanner, the same way, Robert, you know, we've seen his career, but, but I even remember Terry, you know, when he first started out, he was one of those guys that even when he wasn't winning, he, he, he had a flash of like, you knew, you knew he was going to come and, and be good. And it's, yeah, it's fun. Uh, I agree. It's fun to, to consider all those guys. If we wanted to go, you know, really far back like that, Dale McDowell was a guy who came through my area, Winchester, Duck River, a lot when he was young. Uh, you know, back even when his his when his brother Shane drove, and so it was, you know, it's pretty neat to look back and think about how a guy like Dale McDowell has progressed over the years. From it's like, oh, I remember that guy pulling into Winchester, you know, with an open trailer. And, uh, and you never suspect, you know, that he's going to, going to be the superstar, you know, that the, the, the governor of our sport, so to speak, that he is, you know, and, and when he's rolling through town and an open trader like that. And, uh, and so to see some of those guys, it's really, it's really cool looking back and see how far they've come for sure. I would say for me, the biggest one that stands out to me is Jonathan Davenport at, uh, really at Cherokee Speedway in 2009, 2010, and into 2011, I had just started uh, working for Dirt on Dirt. At first was freelancing and then started full-time, but he was, I felt like I was covering him uh, and Chris Madden every every weekend. It seemed like there was a big race there, and, and you could just tell uh, when Davenport was, you know, near the front, he was going to get up on the wheel and, and find a way to win the race um, and definitely made things exciting. He was one of those guys, like you said, just kind of kind of had something you know, extra when he got behind the wheel, and especially when he was near the front. And uh, then, of course, he has since gone on to have a, a very uh, good career, I would say. We'll get back on track here, uh, kind of more in the in the present, uh, and look ahead to some races coming up this weekend. I think uh, each of us have uh, one uh, race or kind of a, a doubleheader of racers there uh, to kind of help preview. So to start, we'll go with Robert. I think you were going to talk about the Spring Nationals doubleheader. Oh yeah, Spring Nationals. Uh, they're going to be uh, kind of in my, my neck of the woods uh, over in Tennessee, and then uh, up in Virginia Friday and Saturday with and Smoky Mountain. You know, first of all, is it is it just me, or does it seem like that this series is built for Dale McDowell uh, here lately, or the last year or two, or whatever? This has been, I mean, with McDowell not really wanting to go out and, and run a a, uh, a national deal. Uh, this is a perfect deal for him. Uh, he won uh, the last time the, tra- the the series was at Smoky Mountain, and that was in 2019. Uh, he outran Brandon Overton and Ricky Weiss, and I think Kyle Strickler was there, Michael Chilton, Donald McIntosh. So uh, that little swing through there draws a lot of cars, even if uh, with doesn't. But the guys who do show up at with are really, really exceptional. I look for Overton to be there, uh, Michael Chilton, again, uh, McIntosh. Uh, I think uh, Ross Bales and, and Dakota Knuckles and guys like that have a, a tendency to show up there. So it, it seems like uh, McDowell right now is the man to beat on that series. And I, I don't think it's going to change this weekend necessarily. Uh, if Overton comes in there, I think he can definitely give him a run for his money for sure. But uh, right now, McDowell is, is on top of that deal, and I don't see anybody knocking him off. I believe, Kevin, you're going to tell us about Mars series at LaSalle. Yeah, LaSalle Speedway this weekend has the, the Thaw Brawl, uh, which is uh, it, it's a weird time of the year for it. It's usually like that last weekend in March, uh, first weekend in April. Around that time, uh, that's when it's been traditionally run. But it, when it when the weather will cooperate, and this year it didn't, so uh, Tony Izzo, uh, he 
put it back to um till May, which is going to put it in a weird spot though. It's like this now. It's uh, usually when it runs there, there's barely anything running against it, and it, and it's normally the first event of the like midweek, first big event in the Midwest of the year. Uh, this year, there's all kinds of stuff. I mean, there uh, it'll be interesting to see who shows up this weekend. Some of the normal guys that you would expect to be there might not be there because there's uh, weekly racing at Fairbury going on in Farmer City. Uh, and also the Outlaws aren't that far away, up a little bit more north there at Mississippi Thunder with uh, a big weekend up there to $40,000 total on the line. So I, I think I just saw that like Tim McCready's going to that. And Tim McCready's a guy that might have gone to LaSalle in, in some instances at the beginning of the year. Uh, so uh, I think it's going to be an interesting uh, to something to watch to see who actually shows up at, at LaSalle this weekend. It's not going to be the normal characters, I think. Uh, in, in, in the entirety that you usually see there. Yeah, with the Lucas Oil Series off, it's interesting to see where the guys are going. Um, and like you said, McCready, he's one of those, you know, was kind of keeping an eye on to see where he's going. So that's interesting. And then also uh, Davenport, I saw on his website, looks like he's planning on going out to Batesville, which Todd, I think you were going to tell us about the uh, CAMS doubleheader out there at Batesville this weekend. Yeah, and talking about Kevin, talked about where everybody may, might be going. Notice that there's seven five-figure paydays on saturday night which is a plenty big of number. options of course, two, <laughs> two of those are crate races but still uh yeah and uh the comp camps at batesville one of those with five thousand and uh twelve thousand to win races the bad boy 98 uh the good news for the comp cans guys is is that they're often against the or they often co-sanction those big races at, at batesville with the lucas oil bunch uh this year they're not they don't do that they don't have that so they kind of get their own race uh, but as Joshua mentioned, the bad news is Jonathan Davenport, whose car owner, of course, is based there in Batesville, plans on being there. So it might be uh, Jonathan Davenport versus the Comp Can Series. Can one of those guys uh, knock him off or stop him from sweeping the weekend or or winning that big money? I think that's uh, that's what everybody's going to have their eyes on there, Batesville. Yeah, definitely uh, will be something to watch there. I'll mention the, uh, of course, uh, the the biggest pain. Uh, events of the weekend, which is, uh, as Kevin kind of alluded to, the World of Outlaws Morton Buildings Late Model Series, uh, making its first ever visit to Missy Mississippi Thunder Speedway uh, there in Wisconsin. Another first-time track for the series and another uh, large amount of money on the line. Uh, Friday's features paying 12500 to win, and then Saturday's 60-lap finale paying 22500 to win. And if one driver wins both, they get a $5,000 bonus. So a huge amount of money up on the line up there at another new track for the series. It'll be interesting to see how how that one plays out. And a couple other things to keep your eyes on. Um, no, other big races we didn't mention. You got the Ironman Series doubleheader at Atomic, paying five thousand on Friday and thirteen on Saturday. Should uh, one that may end up having some of the you know the best fields being kind of more centrally located there. And then of course, as Todd mentioned, there's two, not one, but two uh, ten thousand to win crate shows uh, this uh, on Saturday single day. That's just rare to see a single uh single day crate show pay, paying ten thousand but uh, we got two on saturday with the uh, crate racing crate racing usa series at needmore there in georgia and the uh, american all-stars crates going to beckley in west virginia all right so we'll uh, we'll finish up here with one more trip around our virtual roundtable uh for each of us to mention one thing that stood out uh to us from the past week it can be a race result or a news item that we haven't discussed yet uh, just something that has caught your attention that you feel like is worth mentioning. Todd, I'll let you start it this week. 
Yeah, I've got something talking to to Mike Marler there at Ponderosa the other day, and then following up with him on the phone. He he and uh, Cardinal Ronnie Delk are planning a switch to Capital Race Cars, uh, or switch back, I guess I should say. You know, Marler has kind of a reputation for jumping uh, among several chassis. So, uh, uh, but I think what to talking to him, what he's looking for uh, with the move to Capital, I think, or what he appreciates is, is the fact that Marshall Green's going to try to work closely with him. Uh, you know, give him a little more. More of uh, somebody uh, who can watch the car on the track and give him uh, give him feedback and kind of help him get to that uh, level, uh, you know, where some of those other teams are that have those chassis experts and those uh, shock experts that are working with him so closely. Uh, so it's interesting to see, you know, he hadn't had the greatest start in the Lucas Oil Series. He's 10th in points, I guess. Uh, and I'm not sure it's particular performance based, but uh but the, but that move to capital it'll be interesting to watch uh, to see what he what he does on Lucas Oil. Uh, uh, should have that car uh, here in a couple of weeks and make that switch then. There you go, breaking some news here on the on the podcast. Robert, what do you got? I just think that uh, it's interesting to to look back and see how many races that we had uh, May first. We had so many races on Saturday that it almost uh, made you forget that. Um, Davenport won on Friday night. Uh, we had, you know, big races, you know, Tanner English wins, uh, $10,053 at Clarksville. Uh, then you also had guys, just a ton of regional races, Pearson Lee Williams, Rick Eckert, Max Blair. Spring is definitely, uh, the weather's starting to turn. And, and I, I really feel like that as like you guys mentioned already, a plethora of $10,000 or up to win races this weekend, uh, is going to be very interesting to see. Uh, how the car counts go, where the stars go, and uh, and who picks up uh, some big money. We could see with that many races, you could see guys easily out there winning their their biggest career paychecks this weekend. So keep an eye on that. Definitely a lot of opportunities out there for some under the radar guys to get some some big wins. Kevin, you got anything? Yeah, I like seeing how uh, we had a couple first-time super late-mile win- winners ever last weekend. Uh, not just uh, on regional tours, but first-time super late-miles period was Clay Knight won an ultimate race down at Lancaster uh, in uh, South Carolina, and Peyton Freeman won at uh, Clay Hill in Tennessee um, uh, with the Southern All-Star Series. So uh, that's that's a good side. We need you need some, especially in the Southeast. It's like it's nice having some. Uh, new faces, some new blood, uh, breakthrough to get some wins, and maybe they become the next, uh, you know, they can come in, become the next Jonathan Davenport's or Chris Ferguson's or Ross Bales, uh, add some more uh, uh, excitement to, to that region, you know, can develop some talent. So uh, nice to see him uh, get in the, in the same weekend, too. It's uh, pretty neat. Yeah, and I know I should have went before you because you stole mine, and that was going to be the first <laughs> first time winners. Uh, but I'm going to just kind of uh, follow that up and mention Peyton Freeman because he's a guy that I actually, uh, when I'd heard he was going to run the Southern All Stars for Rookie of the Year this year, I did a story on him uh, back in actually it was in February I think because uh, we we're going to do it run it before the uh, the series was originally scheduled to launch um, at Screven in February. Of course, that got pushed back so it didn't run until till March. And I could just tell he was a guy that kind of, you know, looking him up and looking at his results, he had had some potential, you know, and, and he, he has a good base behind him, good funding behind him with his family on team. And, and he works closely, kind of how Todd was mentioning with Marler with the Capital Bunch. Um, and he's really had a, a good year uh, so far. Been He's 
for a rookie, been really consistent his first full year of super late model racing. And he's showing consistency early in the season and then finally gets his first super late model win and first Southern All-Stars win there at Clay Hill. So uh, definitely good to see him um, having a good season. It'll be interesting to watch and see if uh, if he can continue it and win both the rookie of the year and the points title there. He's got Billy Franklin, the defending champion, not far behind him. So he'll have to keep up the consistency to do it. All right, I believe that's going to do it for this week's episode of the Dirt Reporters podcast. Thanks again for listening, and uh, stay tuned to the website all weekend for plenty of updates, results, and news from everything going on on the weekend. Of course, we'll be here uh, next week to discuss it all and then have the episode out for you again on Wednesday morning. Y'all have a great week. Mm-hmm.